Episode 2, Nevisad Every night when Aristea went to bed, her mother or her grandmother or her auntie would tell her stories of places and people all over the world. And every night, Aristea would dream of great people and breathtaking places. In the morning when she awoke, Aristea would continue to think about the stories and her dreams. She supposed she must be a princess, because in the stories, princesses had beautiful singing voices, and Aristea loved to sing all day long. Sometimes her mother would record her singing and send it to family members, who would all assure Aristea that indeed she was a very talented singer. Aristea also believed she was a princess because, although the baby stories didn't say so, princesses had to be quite brave. Aristea wasn't sure how brave she actually was, but since she was committed to being a good princess, she was trying to prepare herself to be as brave as possible. Her mother had told her that being brave didn't mean not being afraid. It meant doing what was right even though you were afraid. Aristea was glad to hear that, because even though she tried very hard not to be afraid of her closet when it was dark, she still needed to keep the light on. She was definitely planning to turn the light off someday, though. Aristea also knew that princesses appreciated art. She liked some paintings and sculptures, but they were still often bewilderingly alike to her. However, once a day she asked her mother to look up a famous painting on her phone, and Aristea would stare at it for a few minutes trying to understand. It took a lot of practice to sing a song well. So it made perfect sense to Aristea that looking at art would take a lot of practice, too. One day, Aristea's mother Antonella told her they would be going to visit family in a small town outside Novi Sad in Serbia. Oh, how fun, said Aristea, who always loved to go play with her cousins. Can you show me how we will get there? Antonella took out the map and pointed to Europe. Here's Sicily, where we live. You can see that we have to take an airplane from here, and we will fly to the southern part of Europe here. We actually fly into Budapest in Hungary, and Uncle Vlado will fetch us at the airport and drive us to Novi Sad. Aristea thought back to her recent trip to Milan. Will I need special clothes? she asked her mother. Not at all, Antonella told her. Everyone there dresses just as we dress here. Aristea was relieved. It was very difficult to be as creative as a princess needed to be if she was going to wear high fashion all the time. The flight to Budapest was not very long, and Aristea was too excited to color nicely in her book, so she asked her mother to tell her a story about a Serbian princess, since they were going to Serbia. Oh, I know the perfect princess to tell you about, Antonella told her. She was a princess of Serbia, but she was not born a princess. Indeed, in fact, the Queen of Italy was her aunt, which might explain why they have the same name. And if you'll remember, Nicola of Montenegro raised his daughters to be smart and strong women. I remember, said Aristea, Queen Elena was a nurse during the war. Her niece, Yelena of Serbia, was very much like her, and she was said to have a temper and be quite strong-willed as well. But there is much more to this story. Yelena was very young when her mother died, and she had two younger brothers, but her father was determined to return to the Serbian throne. So even though Yelena attended school first in Switzerland, and then was later sent to attend school at the famous Smolny Institute in St. Petersburg, Russia, 
He made sure that all the Karadjordjevich children were steeped in the Serbian language and culture. Jelena was nearly 20 when her father's dream of returning to the Serbian throne was realized, but it was in a very terrible fashion that we'll talk about later. But I want to know everything, Aristea protested. No one knows everything about history, Antonella said. But we'll tell that terrible story another time. There are so many terrible stories, Aristea said. Yes, Antonella replied. But how would we know what is wonderful if we never knew anything terrible to compare it with? Aristea had to think about that for a few minutes before Antonella continued with the story of Princess Yelena. Much like her auntie Elena, Yelena was also good friends with and attended to the imperial family in Russia. She was such good friends with them that her aunts decided to introduce her to the Romanov prince, John Konstantinovich. The two loved each other immediately and decided to get married quickly. The Russian imperial family were quite surprised. Everyone thought that Prince John would become a monk. He was very quiet and reserved and gentle. But both families were thrilled by the match, with the engagement dinner being hosted by the Tsar of Russia himself. But Princess Yelena did not plan to merely sit prettily and endlessly visit others as some princesses did. Even though she was just married, she still entered medical school at the University of St. Petersburg. They're all nurses, Aristea exclaimed. You have to understand that being a nurse is hard work, said Antonella. It's hard work now, and it can be very disgusting with bodily fluids and illness everywhere. But it was even harder work then, when they had far fewer medical advancements to help them. Princesses and queens who chose to be nurses, especially during a war, were choosing one of the most difficult paths women could take at that time. Aristea reminded Antonella how much she hated to help change her cousin's diapers. Yes, Antonella said, and working in a war hospital is much, much worse than baby diapers. Princesses have to be very brave and very strong, said Aristea. Exactly, said Antonella. But Yelena was not able to finish medical school because she had her first child. The Tsar himself was the baby's godfather, and the entire imperial family attended the baptism. Unfortunately, that special moment didn't last even one year, because the First World War started in August 1914. Yelena loved her son very much, but Russia had very few trained medical personnel, and she had been raised with a very strong sense of duty. Her baby was left with his grandparents, and Yelena bravely went to the front to nurse the Russian soldiers. Oh, she must have missed her baby so much, Aristea said. She thought about the doll she held in her lap, the doll she had refused to leave behind in their flat during their travels. She could not imagine how difficult Yelena's decision must have been. Princesses have to make so many hard decisions, Aristea told her mother. Antonella nodded. A true princess has to put duty first, and that can be very, very hard. Antonella continued. In 1917, the worst thing possible happened, a revolution in Russia. Soon the imperial family was being rounded up and imprisoned. Yelena was with her husband, but separated from her children, who managed to escape ahead of the revolutionaries with their grandmother. Yelena did not know this, and she left her husband to go looking for her babies. 
Aristea, her eyes wide, covered her mouth with her hands, very worried for the future of the Serbian princess. Antonella patted Aristea's knee. Will everything be okay? Aristea asked. I'm getting to the end of the story, said Antonella. It's a true story, so some things will be okay, and some things will be terrible, and some things will be better than they should. Aristea nodded, still hoping that the brave Princess Yelena would get a happily ever after ending. Princess Yelena found herself separated from her husband in Siberia. By chance, she learned that the Tsar and his family were imprisoned in a house fortress there as well. And it is now that Yelena, who had done a great many brave things in her life, did something so brave that it is shocking. She went to the house that was being guarded by the Bolsheviks and demanded to see the imperial family. I am the daughter of the King of Serbia and the wife of a Prince of Russia, and I demand to see the Tsar, the tiny woman said at the gate. Aristea gasped. She knew princesses should be brave, but this was far beyond what she had expected. Antonella went on. At this time, it was very possible that the Bolsheviks would just kill anyone who bothered them, the way we swap flies who bited us. But the guards were so surprised by Yelena's demands that they didn't even threaten her. They just sent her away. She was never allowed to see the Imperial family, and soon after this they were all killed. Sadly, Yelena's husband Prince John was killed as well. Aristea could not stop herself from crying a little bit. She thought that if she made the rules, anyone who behaved as bravely as Princess Yelena would be rewarded. Perhaps her job as a princess could be to make rules about happily ever afters. Then the next Princess Yelena would not lose the husband she loved so much. What happened to Princess Yelena after all this? Aristea asked, sniffing a little. Well... Antonella said. She spent a very long time in prison. The Bolsheviks meant to execute her, but they forgot where she was. For a long time, her family all believed she was dead, until one day the Norwegian ambassador managed to track her down, get her out of prison, and take her on a scary journey across the border to where she could be reunited with her children. That must have been such a happy day for her, Aristea exclaimed. That is such a tragic story, but at least there is that. At least she was reunited with their children, Antonella agreed, and she never returned to Russia either. She chose to live in Nice, France, where she never remarried. Aristea was quiet for a few minutes. Being a princess can be very hard, she said finally. It can be, Antonella agreed. Princesses don't always live in palaces. Sometimes they're forced to live in prisons. Aristea thought about Princess Yelena as the plane landed. As she hugged her uncle Vlado, she thought about how Princess Yelena must have felt when she hugged her children for the first time after the Russian Revolution. And during the drive to Novi Sad, she thought about all the journeys Princess Yelena made without knowing what her future held. Aristea had a very fun few days with her many, many cousins. Everyone came to see them in the family home and there was a lot of food made especially by her aunt. All the food was very fresh and was grown on their own land. There were sliced cucumbers and tomatoes, carrots, green onions, and many different kinds of cured meat and salami that her aunt prepared and spiced with her own secret recipes. 
and everyone encouraged everyone else to eat and eat and eat until they were too full to move from the table, telling stories and jokes the whole time. One thing confused Aristea very much, though, and in a moment when Antonella wasn't laughing with everyone else, she asked her, Why do you call Uncle Vlado and Uncle Danilo your brothers? I thought that Uncle Antonio was your brother. Did Nona have lots and lots of children? Antonella began to laugh and then tapped Danilo on the shoulder, repeating Aristea's question. Soon everyone at the table was laughing and Aristea began to get annoyed that they might be making fun of her. It was her old uncle Nenad, Nona's brother, that explained things to Aristea. In our culture, as Montenegrins, children and family are very, very important. So even though my children and your mother are technically cousins, they are raised as one family, like sisters and brothers. If anything happened to any of my sisters or brothers, their children would become my children. All the cousins are sisters and brothers who always belong together. Aristea liked this idea very much. She was an only child, and the thought of having so many sisters and brothers in case of emergency was very exciting for her. And it made her feel so happy to have a tradition just like the one that Queen Elena and Princess Yelena grew up with. Even though Princess Yelena's mother had died when Yelena was very, very young, Yelena's Montenegrin aunts and uncles had taken care of the young woman, just as they knew her mother would have, and Yelena was never alone. Stories are really much more complicated than tragedies and happily ever afters, Aristea thought. After a few days, Antonella told Aristea they were going to have a very fun adventure. In Novisad was a huge fortress called Petrovaradin that was several hundred years old. The fortress was not just full of history, it was still being used for art stores and festivals and one of the most exclusive restaurants in Novisad. We'll even take a tour down underneath the fortress where there are dark tunnels, Antonella told Aristea. Aristea was very excited about such an adventure, but she had to admit that she was a little worried about venturing into dark tunnels under fortresses. In the fairy tales, those sorts of explorations never ended well. When Antonella and Aristea arrived at Petrovaradin, Aristea was shocked to see how huge the fortress was. They drove through the gates and then walked the entire outside walls. Antonella and Danilo walked and talked, but Aristea was allowed to run ahead and look over walls and through crenulations. She had never felt so much like a real princess in her life as she did scampering through what seemed to her to be a huge castle. How old is Petrovaradin? Aristea asked her uncle. Well, there has been something here for thousands of years, Uncle Danilo said. But this fortress you see was mainly built by the Austrians after they retook this area from the Ottomans at the end of the 1600s. Even after that, there were big battles here as the Ottomans tried to retake the area and the strong new fortress. And now it's time to go visit the tunnels under the fortress. Aristea took a deep breath and held her mother's hand to walk down the stairs to the tunnel entrance. The stairs to the entrance were actually very pretty, with ivy falling down the walls and the staircase looking very gracious. But as soon as they were behind the door, there was only the small light of artificial bulbs and many, many shadows. Aristea could imagine how sad it must have been to be imprisoned in the tunnels when the fortress was used as a prison. 
She could see how stories about monsters under the fortress came about. It was all very creepy. The guide took them on a dizzying path underground, and Aristea felt very lost. However, she became so caught up in the descriptions of how certain areas of the tunnels were used as firing positions, and how troops were rotated through the tunnels, that she soon forgot to be afraid. Just as she was going to ask how the guide found his way through the corridors that seemed to all look alike, he pointed out a bit of graffiti that was several hundred years old. The soldiers stationed down in Petrobaradin would scratch these on the wall to orient themselves in the dark, the guide told them. Aristea hadn't noticed the scratchings before, but it all made much more sense now that she knew there were things like road signs underground. One thing very few people remember is that during the Napoleonic invasions in the beginning of the 1800s, the Austrian royal family, the Habsburgs, hid their treasures here in the tunnels of Petrobaradin to keep them safe when the French armies reached Vienna. Did it work? Aristea asked. It did indeed, the guide replied, and it was pretty easy to do because the river just outside the fortress is the Danube, the same river that flows right through Vienna itself. It was a highway made of water for the Austrian Empire. Aristea realized that being a very good princess required yet another characteristic that she hadn't considered. She needed to be smart and to think quickly in order to save people and priceless artifacts. She supposed that she was going to have to pay much closer attention to her teachers in school. The explorers exited the tunnels from a different door than they had entered, and Uncle Danilo thanked the guide for his time. Then he turned to Aristea. I bet you're hungry now, he said. I'm starving, Aristea answered. And I also realize how much I love being in the sun. Laughing, their family set off to a very fancy restaurant with tables on the terrace of a fortress. On the way, they passed a very large clock tower. Oh, this is a special one, Uncle Danilo said. The hands on this clock are backward. That's crazy, Aristea told him. She was just learning to tell time and got quite confused enough as it was. It may sound crazy, Uncle Danilo said, but there is really a very good reason. On this clock, the long hand is actually the hour hand rather than the minute hand, because it was most important that sailors on the river be able to see the hour. This all made sense to Aristea, but she also didn't want to be any more confused about clocks than she already was and so she decided not to think about that fact anymore. Their late lunch was absolutely delicious, although Aristea was quite exhausted. Uncle Danila knew exactly what foods were the best on the menu, and when he explained to the server that Aristea was a princess learning about the history of Novisad, the server brought her a piece of dessert called crimpita that was so big she couldn't even eat half of it. The day had been so full and she had eaten so much that Aristea was absolutely exhausted. Her mother noticed this and she asked Danilo if they could go back to the house so Aristea could rest before another boisterous family dinner. Aristea tried very hard to stay awake to see what Petroveridin looked like as they left, but her eyes just would not stay open and she drifted off to dreams about being a princess and leading the armies at Petroveridin Fortress.